establishes, that's why I wrote another book called If the Foundation Be Destroyed, it establishes a false foundation. If your building is cattywampus, how many of you men are carpenters? How important it is for the foundation to be square before you put the subfloor on? Good luck with your kitchen countertops if it's not. And the longer you go and the more you build, the farther off of true you will be. That's why that foundation must be important. Beautiful auditorium, beautiful chandeliers. But underneath these corners, there's probably, you know, way down underneath the foundation, there's probably a six foot by six foot pier pad, and I'm going to talk so my brother back there can understand me, with two curtains of 5H rebar, 12 inches on center, offset 6 inches, so that when you look down, it looks like a 6-inch grid. Now, how many of you do not understand what I just said? Thank you. Now, how many of you like the chandelier? If there hadn't been a guy with a shovel down there digging that thing, which you cannot see right now, this chandelier wouldn't be hanging from the roof. He's more important than the guy who put the chandelier we're built upon the foundation of the prophets and the apostles. First Timothy chapter 3, verse number 15. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of truth. Father, bless. We pray this message. I pray that you would fill me with thy Holy Spirit. Help me to preach the gospel to the poor, those that are poor of heart, soul, mind, character, knowledge, wisdom, discernment. Help me to proclaim liberty to those that are being held captive behind the bars of faithlessness and unbelief. May there be liberty in the oil of joy for mourning. Would you plant something by the rivers of water that would bring forth fruit in its season and not wither? We give you the glory and praise for what you're about to do. In Jesus' name, amen. I began this message last night. I honed in on some things in this verse, one being the house of God. It is defined in this verse as the church. Also in this ver verse is the word behave. Behave in the house of God. Behave. Not hard to understand what the word means. Two words, be and have. You cannot behave unless you have something. You cannot be something unless it's been instilled in you. You must possess it. The series of messages that I've been preaching have to deal with the history of the house of God. It did not start in Timothy. And I proved to you yesterday how Jesus said when he was approaching the Temple Mount and the tangible building that Solomon built, and he overthrew the money changers' tables, and he said, and he quoted the prophets, Make not my father's house a den of thieves. And then a few hours later, he said, In my father's house are many mansions. So he spoke of a house of God, house of the Father, his Father's house, 
here on this earth, and he spoke of one which is not here on this earth. To reiterate, when one dies, they do not go to heaven and live forever and ever and ever. Even if the trumpet sounded tonight, you would not live in heaven forever and ever and ever. You would go to heaven, but you'd only spend seven years there. You would come back on this earth, ruled and reign with Christ, judging angels for 1,000 years. And then after that, your permanent dwelling place will descend out of heaven. It is a city. It's the city Abraham was looking for. It's the one I'm looking for, that all believers should be looking for. Don't let anybody replace the new Jerusalem. That is also called the tabernacle of God with men. It's also called the bride. That's the house Jesus was referring to. That's our goal. That's where we end up. Every house of God, be it the one in the new Jerusalem, in heaven, called the new Jerusalem, or be it one here on this earth, called a church, a synagogue, a tabernacle, a temple, a high sanctuary, all of those are names and descriptive terms in God's word describing the house of God. All of them are tangible. All of them are local. All of them have a physical address. All of them are made up of two or more who agree that God's will of salvation is through his Son, slain before the foundation of the world, the Lord Jesus Christ. We have an unbroken chain that goes all the way back. And I prove to you out of the book of Jeremiah, I prove to you out of the book of Isaiah, that God's house has been forever. I prove to you out of the book of 1 John that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit were fellowshipping together in glory and in love, and they agreed as one before man was ever created. I prove to you last night that when Abraham was at Bethel, Bethel meaning he built a what? An altar. Now I'm going to back up just a little bit, and I want you to take your scripture and turn to Hebrews chapter 7, and I'll continue the chronology of the house of God, the historical chronology of the house of God through the scripture. You are not detached from that. The house of God did not start in the Gospels. The house of God did not start in the book of Acts. The house of God did not start in the epistles. It goes all the way back to in the beginning with God. Every part of doctrine, there's no such good word as doctrines. Anytime there's an S on it, it's bad in the scripture. Doctrines of devils, doctrines of men. All of you that have Bible college, listen to me. I've taught in most all of them. Change the name of your class from Bible doctrines to scripture doctrine. It, you can't, it's an oxymoron to call something Bible doctrines. There's no such thing as trend, doctrines that are scriptural. Doctrine is scriptural. It's singular as God is singular. It has many parts. But it is singular, and it never changes, ever. Time has no effect on doctrine. Time has no effect on God's word. In Hebrews chapter 7, verse number 17... 
I'm going to take you back, as the scripture does, to someone who was priest over the house of God before Abraham even came. Hebrews chapter 7, verse number 17, the scripture says, For he testifieth, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Would you write Psalm chapter 110, verse 4, Zechariah chapter 6, verse 12 and 13? You're going to see that phrase, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. It doesn't just start right here. It starts with the prophets. And it's referring to the Lord Jesus Christ, who's priest over his own house. Now go to Psalm chapter 110 very quickly, please. Remember, house of God starts above. There is house of God on this earth, but it didn't originate on this earth. And it will not end up on this earth. It will end up descending out of heaven where it began as the new Jerusalem. Psalm 110, verse 1, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstool. Verse number 4, The Lord hath sworn and will not repent, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Look at Psalm 127, verse number 1. Remember, the job of an evangelist is to, his first, for, first, primary, first job, not second, not third, first, reprove. Go back and show it again. Show where it originated in the scripture. Psalm 127, verse 1, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. Build what house? This is the house of the Lord. We're sitting in one tonight. This didn't originate in Acts. It originated a long time ago. With Melchizedek building it. Go to Zechariah, please, chapter 6. Some people call him a minor prophet. I call him a hidden prophet because every time I look for him, he's hiding. Toward the end, before Malachi, Zechariah chapter 6, verse 12 and 13. Zechariah 6, verse 12. And speaking to him, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, Behold the man whose name is the branch. What do you notice different about that spelling? That's all uppercase. Who do you think that's talking about? I think you'll get it. Go ahead. Jesus. And he shall grow up out of this place. He shall build the temple of the Lord. How many of you see that? Now, Melchizedek, Jesus. Melchizedek had no beginning nor end. I've talked to many rabbis. I've asked them, what do you know about Melchizedek? We don't know much. He has no genealogical record. I know where he came from in the beginning. Amen. Question, who was the first king of Israel? Quite often the answer will be Saul. Who was the first priest? 
Quite often the answer will be, Aharon, Aaron, Moses' brother, Aharon. <laughs> to whom does the tithe belong? The Lord. Hmm. How could Melchizedek be king before Saul was born? Of Salem. How could he be priest of the Most High God before Aharon, Aaron, was born? And if the tithe belongs to the Lord, did Abraham sin when he gave a tithe unto Melchizedek in Genesis 14? Or was Melchizedek the Lord? King of kings and Lord of lords and priest of his own house. Bring you all the tithes into the what? Where was Melchizedek priest? What city? Where did Abraham bring his tithe? Where did Abraham go to offer up Isaac? Same city. Salem is just the south end of Jerusalem. Temple Mount. Go up on the Mount of Olives. Turn around and look at the Temple Mount. Temple Mount. Look to the left, slightly down. City of David. Look to the left, slightly down. Salem. I can throw a rock from the Temple Mount into Salem. Or used to. Who played baseball? Who played baseball? Used to. We can't do it anymore. Used to. Thou art a priest forever. After the order of Melchizedek, David set the Levites, the Levites were the priests. He set the Levitical priesthood into 24 orders. Read your scripture. John the Baptist's father, Zacharias, was of the eighth order. Guess what? Jesus was not after the human order. The order of Melchizedek, who has no genealogical, or so they say, record. But I know who his father is. But I also know he's eternal. Do you understand the house of God started up there and it came down here through Melchizedek? And I showed you Abraham, and I showed you where he was at Bethel. Let's go to Jacob now, and go to Genesis chapter 28. The chronology of the house of God. Behave. You must have this. You must display this. You must teach this. You must not replace this. You must not elevate your church above the word of God, for it will not stand if you do. You must build it upon you must start upon the foundation, Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone, and you must allow him to build it with his words and not our traditions. Genesis chapter 28. Jacob is Abraham's grandson. Genesis 28 verse 11. And he lighted upon a certain place and tarried there all night because the sun was set. And he took the stones of that place and put them for his pillows and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, thy father, and the God of Isaac. The land whereon thou liest, to thee will I give it unto thy seed. <clears throat> By the way, God has never revoked that. And thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth, and thou shalt spread abroad to the west, east, and uh, to the north. 
south, and in thee and in thy seed shall all families of the earth be blessed. That's Genesis chapter 12. Behold, I am with thee, will keep thee, whither thou goest, and bring thee again into this land. You can write May 14th, 1948, right there. For I will not leave thee. By the way, that song, It Is Well With My Soul, who wrote it? Spafford, why? What tragedy happened in his life? Drowning of his family. You know what happened to him after that? He moved to Tiberias, Israel. And one day in Jerusalem, he was having tea with the British general Gordon, and the wind parted the trees, and they saw a cave that looked like a skull, which you now know as Gordon's Calvary, place of the skull in the scripture. Come with me. I'll show it to you. Verse 16, and Jacob awaked out of his sleep, and he said, surely the Lord is in this place. Now look at verse 17. He's at Bethel now. And he was afraid and said, how dreadful is this place. By the way, you ought to fear God. This is none other but, what's the next phrase say? Does anybody have, does anybody have a corner market during their lifetime on the phrase house of God? No. Because it doesn't originate with man. And what did Jacob see at Bethel? In his dream, that ladder, the opening portals, the house of God. What city was Abraham looking for? Eternally, the new Jerusalem. On this earth, Jerusalem. That's why you never replace Jerusalem or call another city Jerusalem. That's called application. That's not interpretation. That'll get, you, that'll get you messed up. Jerusalem is still Jerusalem. If I forget the old Jerusalem, let my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth. If I prefer not Jerusalem, listen to the words of Scripture here, above my chief joy. Jerusalem's a very important city. Very important. So we have Jacob now calling it the house of God. Look at verse 20. Jacob vowed a vow saying, If God be with me and will keep me in this way that I go, and will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on, raiment to put on, so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then shall the Lord be my God, and the stone which I have set for a pillar shall be God's house. How I many of you see that God can use humans to build what is called a house of God here on this earth. Now listen again carefully, because I have repeated, and I'll continue to repeat this phrase, especially when you see it in print. Every house of God that's on this earth, God dwells among men. Everyone. Only the house of God in the New Jerusalem, God dwells with men. That is different. You don't want your spouse dwelling among you. You want your spouse dwelling with you. And as part of the bride of Christ, you will dwell with him one day. Not among him, but with him. Abide in him as he is in you. Genesis 31, verse 13. Jacob worked for Laban. He come back. He's divided his flocks. He's wrestling at the brook of Jabbok. 
Uh, I've been there. It's in modern-day Jordan. Tough to get you there, but we can probably arrange it. He wrestles with somebody whose name is too wonderful. And he says, I won't let you go unless you bless me. In Genesis chapter 31, verse 13, As Jacob is being blessed, there's a conversation here. Let me interject here with what the Lord says in verse 13. I am the God of Bethel. Remember, he'd already been there. Called it the house of God. Where thou anointest the pillar, where thou vowest a vow unto me, now rise, get thee out from this land, and return to the land of thy kindred. Now go to Genesis 48. He wrestles with the Lord. His thigh is touched. He limps into the promised land. And by the way, none of us are going to get to the New Jerusalem by our own straight and narrow walk. We're all going to go in slump-shouldered, those of us that are serving, limping, limping our gate. There's nothing good about us, but I'm going to be glad to be there. Not by our might, it's by his. But Jacob's given his testimony to his family. I want you to notice what he says. Genesis 48, verse 16. Jacob says, the angel. What's different about that word angel? That's that angel Jesus. Messenger. The angel which what? Brother Sharp, they weren't redeemed back then. I beg to differ. I can show you where Isaiah said Abraham was redeemed. They didn't know what they were talking about. <clears throat> really? The angel which redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads. Let my name. Remember when Jacob's name was changed at that same place, Jabbok, to Israel. What did Jacob name the place? Class? Where he wrestled. Peniel. What does Peniel mean? I've seen God face to face. And my life is preserved. I'm still alive. But wait a minute. No man can look upon God and live, saith the Scripture. That's God the Father. You can look upon God the Son and live. As a matter of fact, you're commanded to look and live. Do we not understand why Moses lifted up the serpent? Do we not understand why Jesus was lifted up upon a cross? Look. Look. And live. Who was that angel? Jesus. Where? On his way to the house of God. House of God. It's in the Scripture. God does not start in the middle with anything. He always starts in the beginning. Always. From Jacob, the house of God now goes to Moses. Go, if you would, this is about 3,300 years ago. Go to Hebrews chapter 8. We got it starting in heaven, 
call, and the city up there, it's in heaven right now, called the New Jerusalem. It descends out of heaven one day. A new heaven and new earth are made, but the New Jerusalem is absolutely eternal. Hebrews chapter 8, and we find some instruction here about what Moses did when he built the house of God. And then we'll go back and prove it, reprove it. Hebrews chapter 8, beginning in verse number 1. Now the things which we have spoken, this is the psalm, we have such an high priest. Who do you think that high priest is? Jesus. Do you need to enter into a little two-seated confessional outhouse type structure with a partition in the middle and confess your transgressions to some uh, some priest that's sitting on the other side of the curtain? Yes or no? Do you have someone who sits on the right hand of the Father? Do you have someone who makes intercession for you? Do you have an advocate? Do you have an attorney? Do you have someone who was tempted in all points like as you and yet without sin? Do you have someone who was all God yet he was all man and he had a soul and his soul was sorrowful unto death but he said it is written and he never sinned. Do you have that person who has ascended on high and has presented his blood and has washed you in his blood and his righteousness has been imputed into you? Does that person live? Say his name. Thank you. We have such an high priest, verse 1. Vicki, my heart's hurting. Pray. We have such an high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. Now look at this verse 2 closely. We're talking about the house of God. A minister of the sanctuary, of the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched. And not man. Remember, that one fashioned by the hand of God. All of these down here fashioned by the hand of man. You're not adopted into something fashioned by the hand of man. You ought to have a church home. You ought to belong. You ought to be faithful. You ought to not forsake the assembling. It's not assembly. It's assembling. It's the process of getting there. I'm all for that. But local structures come and go. That one came and stays. Verse 3. For every high priest is ordained to offer gifts and sacrifices, wherefore it is of necessity that this man have somewhat also to offer. We're talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 5. Who serve unto the example and shadow of heavenly things, As Moses was admonished, look carefully now, of God when he was about to make the tabernacle. For see, saith he, write Exodus 25, 40 there. For see, saith he, look carefully now, that thou make all things according to the, what's the next word? Pattern showed to thee in the mount. Every house of God on this earth, if you, want, if you want a correct one, you better pattern it after that one up there. Sad to say, we need some improvement. I'm glad to see that synagogues are patterned after the one up there. 
I can tell you if a place is a synagogue without looking at a sign. By the outside and by the inside. Pattern. What's down here is not the original. What's down here is a pattern of what's up there, or should be a pattern. Everybody with me here? Now let's go back and see if Moses obeyed God. Go back to Exodus chapter 25 and look at verse 40. This is why you don't change words that are in the Scripture. King Jehoiakim did. He cut some out and with a pen knife, burn it. God already said he'd remove your name out of the book. I can show Jehoiakim's lineage, his dad, him, and his grandson three times in the prophets. And when you get to Matthew chapter 1, goes down through the lineage, mentions his grandpa, goes to the grandson, Jehoiakim's name is gone. What did the King James make? Made no mistake. God told Matthew, don't write his name. His name was written before his transgression. After his transgression, his name is removed from the book. Now, if God would do that to a king of Israel, he will not spare anyone else. Gone. Ooh. Time to sit up straight. Especially those of us who preach this book. Exodus 25, verse 40. And look that thou make them after their, what's the next word? Pattern, which was showed thee in the mount. Get my commentary on Revelation. The articles of furniture in the New Jerusalem, Moses, Aaron, built a pattern of them down here. They weren't the originals. They were fashioned by the hand of man. They were a pattern. They were a pattern. We should always be looking to the New Jerusalem. And in our church, our church services should always be pointing everyone to the New Jerusalem. It's okay to say, you know, a little heaven on earth or something like that, and there ought to be if we have this pattern. But when we make the house of God a different definition than what God's word is, you're not on, you're not on track. You're not following the blueprint. It's somebody else's pattern. So we need to pattern things after what is written in the Word of God. Go to Hebrews chapter 2, verse 12. Still with me? Anybody learning anything? Hebrews chapter 2, verse 12. Now please don't let your soul get offended and your tradition get offended here. And I'm not going to mention any names at all. But no matter how old we are, when the Word of God corrects our tradition or our mistakes that we've done innocently, we ought to let the Word of God correct it permanently from that point forward and make a change in our vocabulary. Wycliffe said those who preach the Word of God must learn a different vocabulary, must align with these words. Now in Hebrews 2.12, and I want you to hold your, keep your finger there, but then I want you to go to Psalm 22.22. And keep a hand in both places, because Hebrews 2.12 was going to quote Psalm 22.22. And we'll first, I'll read Psalm 22.22. 
Psalm 22, 22, I will declare thy name unto my brethren in the midst of the congregation while I praise thee. Now go to Hebrews 2.12. Paul's going to quote the verse. Saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren in the midst of the... Excuse me. What did you say? What word did you say? But wait, in Psalm 22.22 it says congregation. But in Hebrews 2.12 it says church. Is there a mistake in our King James? NIV doesn't translate that word church. Could the Holy Ghost be interpreting congregation and church as the same thing? House of God, yes or no? In the midst of the church will I sing praise unto thee. Go to Psalm 74, verse 2. I hope you're writing these down. To whom does the church belong? Amongst the Lord. His. Build my church. He didn't say to Peter, upon this rock, I will start my church. He said, I'll build my church. By the way, that's a quote of two prophets. Psalm 74. Verse number two, remember, whose congregation? This is a psalmist's prayer to God. Remember thy congregation. To whom does the congregation belong? Well, Brother Chubb, not every congregation is a church. Well, I think this one belongs to God. Not every church is a church. Everybody calls himself one. Who, who has ownership of that congregation? Who had ownership? God did. Remember thy congregation, which... What's the next word after which? Thou hast what? Was it by sacrifices, by people? Who purchased the congregation? God did. Because Christ was slain before the foundation of the world. Thy congregation, which thou hast purchased. This is why Abraham said, God shall provide himself. Amen. Which thou hast purchased of old. Now, Psalm 74, written in about 586 B.C. That's a long time ago, isn't it? How many of you see the congregation was already old in 586 B.C.? Do you know that Abel is a part of that? Read Hebrews 11. Hmm. There's nothing new under the sun. What's been spoken has been spoken before. It's the faith. It is never faiths. The faith is mentioned more than 20 times. You contend for the faith, not faiths. They weren't saved differently than we. Jesus Christ, author and finisher. First and last. Beginning and end. Alpha and thank you. Anybody that tells you there was another way to heaven at any other time is a heretic. Amen. 
and denying the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. All of those, by faith, even as Abraham believed and had the gospel preached unto him, as Paul said in Galatians, are members of that eternal house of God called the New Jerusalem. And will be with God, the tabernacle of God, with men. I showed you about the sheep Jesus had. I showed you about the one fold. I showed you about the sheep that he had before his virgin birth were not deceived by the imposters. Because they believed in Jesus. They believed in the word of God. Go to Leviticus chapter 26. Behave. Be what you have. What has been given to you. Leviticus chapter number 26, verse 11 and 12. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. By the way, the minor prophets are screaming today. It's like reading the front page of the newspaper in Jerusalem. As Ben Franklin said, cultivate an acquaintance with those minor prophets. Leviticus chapter 26, verse number 11 and 12. And I will set my tabernacle, what's the next word? Remember, on this earth God dwells among us. It's a pattern. Among you, and my soul shall not abhor you, and I will walk, what's the next word? This is how God walked with Adam and Eve, his voice. Among, among, among. This is why the New Jerusalem is not to be compared to any other. We have a pattern pointing it, but we should never take anything away from it, because God dwells with us. I will walk among you, and will be your God, and ye shall be my people. Let me get through Joshua now with the house of God. I'll close down for the night, come back tomorrow, we'll pick it up after Joshua. Chronology starts there, came down with Melchizedek, Abraham, Jacob, Moses, the pattern. Let's see the house of God with Joshua in his day, 3,200 years ago. Go to Joshua chapter 18. You know the scripture that uh, Moses led them out of the promised land. Joshua led them into the promised land. Come with me to Israel. We'll get as close as we possibly can, uh, probably within eyesight of where they crossed the Jordan River. Gilgal, return, revive, reprove, go back. Pile up 12 stones. What mean ye these stones, saith the scripture? Well, it meant that everybody came across and nobody was going back. And it meant when their children and grandchildren saw those stones, they weren't to go back. No more wandering, no more halfway, no more back to Egypt. Your forefathers made it because they believed. Now, they have the house of God. It's in tent form. It's in tabernacle form, which is tent. Temple is permanent structure type. And they're taking it down, transporting, putting it back up. They're bearing the Ark of the Covenant. They have all the furniture. And this construction in the wilderness, after the pattern of what's up there, it goes across the Jordan. And the armed men went first. The priests touched with their feet the Jordan River. It parted, but 
the armed men. That's where Moses said, and Joshua also, if you don't arm yourself, here's the phrase, be sure your sins will find you out. You always have to know what that verse is attached to. Let the armed men go before. And by the way, I suggest you keep your gun until Jesus is sitting on the throne in Jerusalem, and at that time all weapons will be beat into plowshares. Don't let somebody's application get ahead of interpretation. But we find here Joshua chapter 18, the following words, verse 1. I can get into Joshua. I've got to get new glasses. I wait for that ad that comes out, two pair for $69. For some reason, it cost me 463 when I walk out of that place. And I can't read the fine print. Joshua chapter 18, verse 1. And the whole congregation of the children of Israel assembled together at Shiloh. That would be pronounced in Hebrew, Shiloh. Come with me to Israel. I'll take you there. Outside the Arab town, West Bank town of Nablus. Uh, let me rephrase that. I'll take you there. If you've been with me once on the tour trip, and if you are a trained police officer, or you know how to listen and take orders, I'll take you with me. Assembled together at Shiloh, and set up the tabernacle of the congregation there, and the land was subdued before them. Look at verse number 8. And the men arose and went away, and Joshua charged them that went to describe the land, saying, Go and walk throughout the land, and describe it, and come again to me, that I may here cast lots for you before the Lord in Shiloh. Now, go to Judges chapter 18, and look at verse 31. The house of God was set up there, and a lot of things happened there. It was there, by the way, write this down, it was there for 369 years. I don't know that you can show me a house of God in the United States that's been there for 369 years. We might get close if we go to Rhode Island, but that's a long time. Behave, it's part of you. This is where little Samuel was called by God, where Eli the priest. This is where the 12 tribes, the whole land of Israel was divided between the 12 tribes at that house. Very important in our history. Now, we see in Judges 18 and verse number 31, And they set them up Micah's graven image, which he made all the time that the house of God was in Shiloh. 369 years. Go to chapter 20 and look at verse 18. And the children of Israel rose and went up to the house of God and asked counsel of God and said, Which of us shall go up first to battle against the children of Benjamin? And the Lord said, Judah shall go up first. That's Judah that makes the last stand before Armageddon. So some very important decisions were made at that house of God. I told you how important the altar was. It's absolutely essential that you make Decisions in the house of God. Your preacher labors in the word for 42 years plus. He's got on his knees, he's prayed, he's agonized. And every time he stands behind this pulpit, as soon as he says, open the scriptures too, there is a battle that takes place. It's almost as if 
I'm not getting spooky on you here. It's almost as if he's looking at himself from third person. And Brother Cain, through all of the decades that he has preached faithfully the Word of God, has been in this battle thousands upon thousands of times. And every preacher worth his salt realizes as soon as he begins to proclaim the truth in this book, hell breaks loose. The devils break loose. And he's contending. And he's watching for your souls. And a little look. He's seen that dozens of times before. Are you getting it or are you not? Are you receiving it or are you rebelling? And the whole time he's preaching, he's aware of this. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities. We wrestle that stuff and them. And the whole time he's preaching, he's also praying. God, don't let the devil snatch this word. Don't let it fall upon stony ground or by the wayside. Let it fall upon the fertile ground of a receptive mind, a receptive soul, a receptive born-again spirit. Judges 20, verse 18. They divided up the land. They decided how they were going to battle. All in the house of God. Shiloh, Shiloh. Tranquil Messiah. Shiloh, Shalom, Shalom, my friend. Peace be unto you. Why? House of God was at Shiloh. They worshiped the Lord. They served the Lord. They answered God. They prayed to God there. They made very important decisions at Shiloh. This is your heritage. Behave. Go back and look at the decisions they had to make. Look at the right ones they made in the house of God. And you pattern yourself after that, and you make right decisions in the house of God. Don't be a thorn in the flesh to your pastor in the Word of God. Be a prayer warrior for him. Shiloh is also a person. The tabernacle of God is with men. Go to Genesis 49, verse number 10. Genesis 49.10. The scepter, uh, the rod, right? Isaiah 11.10. The stem of Jesse, the root. The scepter shall not depart from Judah. Who's the lion of the tribe of Judah? Go ahead, say his name. Nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come. That's a prophecy about Jesus. And unto him, remember, Shiloh's also a person, shall the gathering of the people be. We go to meet them in the air. He gathers us. 
All of these later verses have been mentioned before by the prophets. And I close with this. Go to 1 Samuel chapter 1. The house of God being still at Shiloh. The land is divided there. A name is chosen that is synonymous with the Lord. Great things happened there. Decisions were made there by both men and women and the congregation as a whole. 1 Samuel chapter 1 and verse 3, the story of little Samuel. His mother, Hannah, his father, Elkanah. 1 Samuel 1, 3, his daddy, Elkanah. And this man went up out of the city yearly to worship, to sacrifice unto the Lord of hosts in where? Shiloh. Remember, house of God was there. Go skip down, if you would, to verse 24. So Samuel had a daddy that was faithful in the house of God. Hannah goes there. Her womb had been shut up. By the way, I wrote an article on abortion, sent it out today. 1 Samuel 1, verse 24, And when she had weaned him, that's little Samuel, she took him up with her with three bullocks, one ephah of flour and a bottle of wine and brought him unto the, what's the next phrase say? House of the Lord, where? In Shiloh. And the child was young. Behave, that's part of your history now. Now go to chapter 3. Verse number 3. First Samuel 3, 3, look at me for just a moment, is in my opinion one of the most tragic verses in Scripture. Samuel had a good mama and a good daddy. Eli was the priest. His eye, he got old. His eyes waxed dim. He could no longer see the contrast between light and dark. He had two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. They were outside the house of God playing kissy face with the girls or whatever. But that's not in the scripture. Get a life. There was a flame inside that house of God called the lamp of God. First human delight, it was Aharon, Aaron, Moses' brother. 369 years earlier, it never went out. It was a ray of reconciliation, a light of liberty, a match of mercy, a candle of consolation. It illuminated a path for those on the darkness outside the house of God, the holy place, the holies of holies, the presence of God, the ark. It illuminated a pathway for those on the out to find God's presence on the inside. It was to be a pure olive oil. It took eight days to create that. Well, the Jews have a holiday called Hanukkah that Jesus celebrated.
for the first time in 369 years, or over 350 for sure, no one paid attention to that light, that flame. Now let's read what happened in the house of God in 1 Samuel 3, verse 3. And ere the lamp of God went out in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was, and Samuel was laid down to sleep. Years ago, I took a match and I lit a kerosene lamp with just a little bit of oil, just enough to light, and I lit a candle. And then I held the match and I just watched. I wanted to see what happens when a flame, a lamp, goes out. And I watched that match. I held it with tweezers. It got down to where it had no fuel left. And it struggled. It was gasping and moving. Trying to find help. It went out. I watched the little candle. It did the exact same thing. I watched the wick on the lamp. It did the same thing. It was violent. Not one earthly human being saw the last ray of hope fade into the shadows that night. Except the devil and his angels preparing to rejoice in pleasures of darkness and an omnipotent God in heaven who sees all things. And the very moment that lamp went out, God spoke up. Samuel. Samuel. Get up, son. Get up. Something tragic has happened in the house. God, get up, son. Get up like the light, Samuel. Get up. That's very interesting because The Lord called Samuel in verse 4, and he answered, Here am I, and he ran unto Eli. He ran to the old preacher whose sons weren't doing the work, who was asleep. He heard a voice. Eli doesn't perceive what's going on initially. Go back and lay down. The scripture says, in verse 6, the Lord called again, Samuel. Again, he goes to Eli. Look at verse 7. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, neither was the word of the Lord yet revealed unto him. That'll mess up your theology. <laughs> and nevertheless, as Jeremiah, God knew from the belly, God knew what he was doing. Finally, Eli perceived that God was calling the little boy. Next time you hear the voice, say, speak, Lord, for thy servant here. And God came again the third time. Where'd that happen? In the house of God. Do we not know that Samuel anointed two kings? 
Do we not know the great things that he did? Do we not know we are connected to what took place in that little boy's life in a house of God oh so many years ago? Because the house of God is very important. Make sure your foundation is right on the house of God. God didn't start this in the middle. It starts in the beginning with him. It is unbroken, step by step, line upon line, precept upon precept. This is called sound doctrine. Now the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, because much of what I said is not being taught. And it can be grating to some people. That's what it means, not enduring sound doctrine. I plead with you, be as Apollos, let God's word be explained more perfectly. We cannot deny the house of God starting there, coming here, a pattern long before the virgin birth of Christ that continues unto this day and will go right back to where it originated in the new Jerusalem. Thank you so much for being here tonight. Let's have prayer. Father, I pray you'd bless the word of God tonight. It's preaching, it's teaching May we be grounded, may we be rooted, may we not be so soon shaken, may we not be carried about with every wind of doctrine, may no subtle, similar, feigned, fake, alternative synonym words be used to describe sound doctrine or to replace the words that are in the scripture. Help us to look at those words and accept those words as you intended. With our head bowed and our eyes closed, again, how many by way of uplifted hand would indicate, uh, Brother Sharp, I learned something tonight. I give God all the glory for that, for his uh, wonderful, wonderful word that he has showed me. If that's your testimony, can you raise your hand to the Lord? God bless you. Again, nearly every hand in the auditorium. One more question. With our head bowed and eyes closed, who would say, Preacher, I'm not saved. I'm not sure I'm going to end up in the New Jerusalem. I'm not sure I'm going to go to heaven. I'm not sure I'm going to be in the New Jerusalem with God. I want to be. I don't want to be in hell. I don't want to be in the lake of fire. Say a prayer for me, Brother Sharp. I want to be attached to this foundation. I want to be attached to God's word that changes not. I want to have everlasting and eternal life as promised. I'm not saved, but I want to be. If that's you, friends, slip your hand up, and I'll remember to pray for you. Anyone like that? All right, shall we stand? Head up, eyes open. Take a look at me. I'm going to pray. When I say amen, Music's going to start. As soon as I say amen, my job's done. I'm going to go over there and sit down. I faced him. I faced the devil. I need a little break. I'm going to sit down. If God spoke to you, speak to him. You can get to the altar, make it. If you've got bad arthritis and joints, I understand. Just sit back down, but talk to him. Thank him for the house of God you have here. You're the exception. You're not the rule. He's the exception. He's not the rule. His wife is the exception. She's not the rule. This preacher is the exception. His wife, the exception. They're not the rule. He could, he could rattle off a hundred preachers who've fallen by the, and maybe a thousand in his lifetime. Thank God for what has happened and what will happen and can happen in the house of God. And promise God, you'll not forsake that. Father, bless the invitation, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You come.